Berkti Asmaran used to call herself the car parts lady. She ran an advanced auto parts store in Tacoma Park, Maryland. I can change some brakes, I can change like an oil change, something like this basic. And before that, she was a manager at the sub shop Jimmy John's. You know Jimmy John's. Of course I know Jimmy John's. Yes. So I was baking bread and like making sandwiches. Um, and so slowly like I have drive to like um, hustle. I just feel like a lot of times my hustle, I hustle the wrong way um, is what it is. I'm very much like, oh, let's go get it. But I don't have concise like guidance. Berkti was born in Ethiopia and emigrated with her family to the U.S. as a young girl. Her hustle has served her well. She quickly learned English and found a strong group of friends in suburban Maryland just outside of D.C. Berkti has an easy laugh and a sunny disposition. Even outside of being like a people person, like I'm very, um, like I analyze a lot of things and I pick up quickly on things, right? So I learn very quickly. So everyone that's around me and that keeps seeing me, they're like, you know, Brick you should be running advanced. Like this store should be yours. It should be Brick store. Like, and even outside of like the encouragement of others, um, I felt like I really lacked self-worth and I really lacked self-acceptance and like really doubted myself. When Berkti graduated from high school, she enrolled at Montgomery College in Maryland. I've already decided that I'm not paying for school, but even outside of paying for school, I'm not taking out loans to go to school. I just didn't care. I don't know why or, I mean, I obviously do know why, it was just the impact of like the world, life, and like me, I guess, trying to figure it out. Um, so I would like do the bare minimum going through Montgomery College. And because financial aid was paying for it and I was not paying for it, I wasn't like attentive to it at all. Um, so then I would leave Montgomery College for like a semester and then I would go back. So it just became like a constant, like leaving and then coming back. Leaving and coming back to college, but still not getting a degree. And right around this time when Berkey was 22, she had a daughter. I was taking classes after I had her. And then ultimately, just life took it, took over and I didn't continue taking classes at all. She's gonna be five in August. So all of this is just gearing towards for her. Um, and I very much enjoy life. Um, I feel like life is what you put in it, is exactly what you put out. And I will always get like, you have so much potential. You have so much potential, but you have so much potential, but. You have so much potential, but you don't have a college degree. You have so much potential, but how are you ever going to advance in the job you have? 62% of adults in the U.S., people like Berkti, do not hold a four-year college degree. And without that degree, their chances for good-paying jobs and good career paths decrease dramatically. Now, most of the jobs go to people with at least some post-secondary education or training, and the good jobs concentrate by education level. That's Tony Carnavale, a labor economist who runs the Georgetown University Center on Education and the Workforce. It's a system now where only about 20% of people who only get a high school degree have a good job, 45K by 40. Earning $45,000 by the time you're 40, that's one way to define a good job. But are there others? It's a definition whereby essentially when you walk in the door in the morning to go to work, music starts playing. <laughs> You're happy, fulfilled, serving a public purpose. You've got benefits, you've got uh, daycare, you've got 
a job that pays well, a job that stimulates you and allows you to grow, uh, a job that allows you to participate fully uh, in the life of your times uh, as a citizen, as a worker, as a family member, etc. I mean, these are great jobs. Right. The music plays. Your co-workers smile at you. Your boss hands you a bonus. Alternatively, if you can't get a job, you can't live fully in your time under a bridge with all your books in front of a fire uh, with no roof over your head. So uh, this is inevitability. The economy is dictating this, not social policy or education policy. It comes from the economy, which in a capitalist society is a very strong command and has to be dealt with. So what does Berkeley do? What do the majority of Americans do when they don't have that diploma? because of lack of resources or family support, or just out of lack of academic interest. Some think there should be systemic change in how we train and hire our workers. And some think we should reconsider the four-year degree as the do not pass go requirement for so many jobs. We have used the four-year degree reflexively in our society as a very blunt sorting mechanism. Gerald Chertavian, the founder of a training and internship company called Year Up. It's an easy way to toggle a switch that says, screen out the resume that doesn't have a four-year degree. Now, when you do that, you exclude 84% of Latinos and 78% of African Americans. Um, but then you say, well, what leads to getting a four-year degree? Right? I can predict whether you are going to get a four-year degree more by your bank balance than your SAT score. So when you recognize that getting a four-year degree is often enabled by a lot of factors of privilege, that if that's our sorting mechanism, then we're going to exclude a tremendous amount of talent uh, that has ability. I mean, the good Lord did not distribute uh, um, intelligence by zip code and bank balance. Yet if that's the sorting mechanism we use, then clearly we're not going to see all of the talent that's out there in this country. So is there a new way to serve all that talent that comprises the majority of adults in the country, those who are striving to change their outcomes? From the Stanford Center on Longevity, Century Lives is here to start the conversation. I'm your host, Ken Stern. On this season of the podcast, we're exploring the 60-year career, what we want out of work, and what it means to have a more meaningful career over a longer lifespan. Today, we're going to explore some innovative solutions for the 62% of American adults who don't have a four-year college degree. We'll hear about alternative pathways to success, training programs, apprenticeship programs, and internships that place underserved workers in good jobs. And we'll follow the story of Bert D. Asmaron, who's now training with Europe for a career as a software engineer. And to understand how the four-year degree became so central to the promise of a good job, let's take a quick trip down memory lane. Jesse is a friend. It's 1983. This compelling ballad by Rick Springfield topped the charts. Ronald Reagan was president, and the country was struggling to climb out of a recession. Here's Tony Carnavale. After 1983, the qualifications for work shifted dramatically, very fast in economic time such that prior to 1983, prior to the 1980-81 double-dip recession, uh, people, most good jobs, jobs that paid in current dollars, 
at least 45K by age 40, let's say. Those were for high school graduates, the vast majority of them. The old industrial economy, for those of you who remember it. Um, but after that, the requirement for good jobs and for jobs in general shifted to post-secondary education, post-high school education. And it happened very fast, caught the American public by surprise, but it happened, largely due to technology change and the supercharged force of global, uh, the, glo the growth in the global economy, which forced technology on economies, whether you liked it or not. So we, sh there was a shift in educational requirements. They were really a shift in skill requirements, but employers use education as a proxy for skill. So we shifted from a high school economy to a college economy and have been struggling to deal with that ever since. What the U.S. had lost by the millions were middle-skilled jobs, jobs that required some training but not a four-year degree. These were the kinds of jobs that supported the rise of a prosperous middle class after World War II. Middle-skilled jobs have been the victim of technology and globalization, as everybody knows, deindustrialization. As all those old industrial jobs were going away, new service jobs, think computers, healthcare, new service jobs that didn't require a bachelor's degree but required more than high school, they emerged. So we don't have a system that educates or trains for those jobs. If we did, we'd be Switzerland or Germany or Finland. They have apprenticeships. They have a very elaborate and, frankly, very effective scheme by which no more than 5% of high school kids, their version of high school kids, leave high school without a career track. In America, uh, you go to high school, you get past Algebra 1, you get your degree, uh, and then you go out and wander around. Are there middle-skilled jobs there to be had? If we had a system like Switzerland and Germany or Finland, and we're training up more students for the, those middle-skilled jobs, would there be enough jobs for this new population? There would be enough, but there are limits. Um, yes, uh, we simply don't do that in America. We've never been a training nation. The Europeans always have been, let's say for me, always is since World War II. Uh, so we've built a system in which there is no job training uh, in the K-12 system. It all falls to post-secondary education and training. Most of the post-secondary education and training in the U.S., no longer includes vocational training. Derek Ramsey was the Secretary of Education and Workforce Development for the state of Kentucky from 2015 to 2019. He was determined to bring back apprenticeships and training opportunities for middle-skilled and even traditional white-collar jobs as well. I graduated from high school in 1974. 1974, at that time, most schools had a vocational arm or vocational part in their school. As you fast forward that to where we are today, 2022, over the last 30 years, the vocational schools have either been stigmatized, shut down, talked about, talked down, everything negative that you can think of, almost to the point that they were uh, out of existence. Ramsey worked with Kentucky's Commissioner of Education to get funding for this new apprenticeship program eventually securing a $100 million grant from the state. And so once uh, I was able to get the commissioner 
to talk publicly about the value of apprentice. The picture started to look a little different, and they understood these incredible opportunities. Ramsey eventually connected thousands of adults to apprenticeships, and some even to civil service jobs within government agencies across Kentucky. When we here in America look at success, what we think of success is, is a person standing up there with their diploma and a big old cheesy grin. <laughs> this is what success looks like, <laughs> right? Yep. Well, it isn't. And my argument and debate has been for years when we talk about the middle class, which is always the cry of politicians, well, the middle class is gone. Well, where did it go? Because when you think about the middle class, everybody wants to think that these are educated people. No, nonsense. The middle class has always been in manufacturing, electricians, HVAC, plumber guys, has always been that way. And so again, with that number dwindling, that's why the middle class, to me, is dwindling. Other state leaders have looked at new ways to bolster the dwindling middle class and also add talent to their companies in a tight labor market. Larry Hogan, the governor of the state of Maryland, recently announced that he was dropping the four-year college degree requirement for state jobs. And a handful of major employers in the U.S. are actively looking for skilled talent with or without degrees. And that brings us back to the story of Burke D. Asmeron, a bright and capable woman just waiting to realize her potential. In 2021, she made a change. I finally decided, I was like, you know what? I'm going to take a leap of faith. I'm going to strive for me. And I'm just going to take this leap and like really apply myself to revolutionize my life. Berkti heard about the Europe program from a friend. And she discovered applicants only need to have finished high school or have obtained a GED and show financial need. And then I read a little bit more about it. And I saw the different tracks that they have. And I'm like, hmm, I've never seen a school that will pay you to learn. <laughs> so I was literally a no-brainer. So um, with the frustrations of everything I just told you and like me being determined, I was like, I should definitely like leap for sure. Berkey was accepted into the program. She started her classes in late 2021 in preparation for an internship that will begin in August of this year. It is, it's definitely like a, it's a nervous feeling, but also if I don't, then there's like, it's either that or nothing else for me, if that makes sense. You know what I'm saying? Like, it's either I'm going to apply myself and actually, like, I, not only for my peers or my daughter, or I need to prove it to myself, right? And for Berkti, one of the most intimidating aspects of the program is realizing that she may soon be working alongside people who have four-year degrees. I may present, like, this confident, like, everything right now, right? But inside, I feel a lot of... Um, jitters, butterflies, whatever we want to call it, like that feeling, like I'm sweating, okay? Like I'm sweating and like, and no one would even know because you don't know what people are thinking, right? We don't know what people are thinking when, just like they don't know what I'm thinking um, when we're in this room and they have college degrees and I don't or whatever. Um, but at the end of the day, I respect everyone and I respect whatever position they're in or whatever titles that they have and whatever degrees that they have, but I can do it too. The college degree, still a psychological stumbling block, 
even in a program designed to circumvent the need for a degree. We have conditioned a whole society to think that you are less than if you don't do the quote-unquote traditional thing, which is not traditional at all. Again, Gerald Tretavian. So it's not that everyone doesn't need post-secondary education. They do. And you should get your four-year, your master's, your PhD, as much as you can. But people need to get economic stability in order to get educational achievement. And so you've got to feed your belly before you feed your brain. And what's happening is the age of a college degree is moving up and up. The average age of a college degree is 26.5 in this country. And so what we need to do is, is promote multiple pathways, whether it's uh, certificates, credentials, apprenticeships, uh, yes, college, but we have to see them as relevant and valuable, not, oh, you didn't go to college the traditional way, you are somehow less than. But we have to recognize that people will get educated. It's just going to be done differently over longer periods of time in the one-size-fits-all, four-year, fixed-term residential experience is not going to educate the citizens of this country in the way we need to educate the citizens of this country. That's a cultural phenomenon that we have to adapt in America to recognize there are different pathways people will get the post-secondary educations they need to live productive lives, to earn good wages. That's a really important shift this country needs to make if we are to have an educated citizenry and get all people uh, getting access to opportunity in the country. Chertavian was inspired to start Europe after his experience as a big brother to a 10-year-old boy in New York City in the 1980s. He spent every Saturday with him for two years, during the height of the crack and AIDS epidemics. And at the end of those two years, it was so clear to me that his potential was fundamentally being limited by his zip code, the bank balance of his mother, the school system he attended, and the color of his skin. And it struck me that this is so wrong. Uh, We're wasting so much human capital in a country where we have no one to waste. And so at a pretty young age, I was... Uh, through the blessing of being a big brother and the proximity to uh, what lack of opportunity looks like in this country, I was uh, able to learn a pretty important truth about how this country actually operates and who has access to opportunity and who doesn't. So it reminds me a little bit of what Ann Richards said about uh, one of the one of the George Bushes. I can't remember which one she said it about, which was uh, he was born on third base and thought he hit a triple. Um, that he had a lot. Of, I mean, I'm curious about sort of your reaction to that sort of wonderful Ann Richards quote and how that sort of thinks about the work you do now. If we measured individuals by how far they had to go to just get to the starting line in life, we'd have a very different view of people's potential. You know, some folks are born on the starting line. Some folks are born 50 yards down the track. And some folks are born 100 yards behind the starting point. And so, you know, it's not really where you start in life, it's where you finish. But we have to recognize that people have very different journeys to just get a chance and gain an opportunity. And that, unfortunately, uh, can separate people pretty significantly if you just don't have access to that runway you need to take off in life. So tell us about sort of the, the, the core programs of Europe and what it does and how it works. Sure. So Europe works with low-income 18 to 26-year-olds. We provide them with 
somewhere between three to six months of really strong training in both hard and soft skills. Europe is known really well for their professional skill training. We then place those young adults into a work-based experience. Think of it as an internship for somewhere between three and six months. And at the end of that, the companies that they are uh, working at uh, have a chance to see what they can do, right? And end up getting hired, majority of folks getting hired into jobs that pay on average $44,000 a year. These are young adults who came to us making on average less than $10,000 per year. Um, so it's bringing someone in less than a year from either no income or low income to a livable wage career in many of the country's very best companies. So we've placed thousands of young adults into J.P. Morgan, Bank of America, uh, into Salesforce, Microsoft. So we work with the biggest and best companies in the country. We introduce them to a new source of talent. Right? This isn't a hand. This isn't a charity for the companies. It's a new source of talent that they haven't been able to operationalize before, and then provide them with a way to uh, hire hundreds of young people into career jobs uh, in technology, finance. Uh, could be good customer service jobs. Um, we now place more low-income young adults of color into the Fortune 500 than pretty much any other institution in the United States of America. And the logistics of making that happen? Europe hires teachers to share specific knowledge of different software platforms like Salesforce, Microsoft, and Google Office Suite. And they teach soft skills, interpersonal skills. Here's Nicola Squardo, the Director of Academics for Europe in Washington, D.C. I think there was an understanding that you know, soft skills, again, is the thing that can set a young person apart from, you know, maybe someone their age, but who went through a four-year, you know, college degree and might not have, you know, that that type of training, you know, there's this understanding that if we can train students in um, sort of the basic fundamental expectations of work while also demystifying what work looks like, particularly in a corporate or professional sense, right? Uh, because we work with a lot of students where, you know, they, they might not have that experience or they haven't had that experience or they don't have family members who have worked in that type of job. And so how do we how do we demystify that? How do we make it so that they understand sort of these unspoken rules of, you know, corporate life or professional life? Nicole is also coach to Berkty and has high hopes for her success. Berkty is going to tell you like it is in the best way possible. She's just, yes, she's just going to say like, this is what it is. This is what you need to do. Like, here's how to do it. She is, she's a mom. Um, and I think she expands that role to our coaching group because she's often like the mom of the group. Um, and, you know, just kind of getting people on task. Um, you know, she is just full of life and excited. And I think someone who um, appreciates the opportunity and takes advantage of the opportunity that we offer. So yeah, she is, she's really, she's really amazing. So um, 
fast forward for, let's say, 10 years for, from now from Burke D. I'm going to ask her the same question. I'm curious. Uh, so I don't want you to talk to her about this. Uh, uh, what would you think success would be for her? I mean, I could see Burke D just running her own company very easily, you know, just, you know, having a team of people and, and just telling them, you know, what to do and, and loving it. I think, you know, for her, I think one of the things she would probably say is that she has, um, you know, a really great career and stability for her daughter. And she has, you know, she has the flexibility and the options to, um, you know, devote to her, to her family, as well as, you know, just have a really great career. Bertie is in the process of writing a new narrative for herself. But what about the millions of adults who lack the means to change theirs? Is there a role for what Europe is doing on state and national levels? Europe has proven to be extraordinarily successful. A large-scale randomized control trial of the Europe program found that people who went through the program had 30% higher income, a gap that persisted through the seven years of the study. But the impact of Europe is capped by practical and funding limitations. It can train less than 10,000 students in any one year. Again, Europe founder Gerald Chertavian. We need a Marshall Plan for uh, education and workforce development in this country. Um, you need an urban GI Bill, right? A GI Bill that says we're going to take folks and make sure uh, they get the educations they need and the workforce development and training they need, not just younger folks, but incumbent workers as well. So that then says, okay, what do you do? I do believe community college should be free and students should be uh, able to access a K-14 to education uh, as a right and not a privilege. Um, I do believe that tax incentives should be geared to not just hiring someone who's from an underrepresented community, but progressing them, advancing them, developing them, right? So right now you get your tax incentive after a few months, regardless of whether the person stays there long enough. So you gear your tax incentives to human capital development, not purely hiring. Uh, That would be a smart strategy. Uh, And then the final thing is, All of the money this country spends in workforce development should be results-based, not efforts-based, which means you don't get your money for trying to train someone to get a job. You get your money when someone gets a job. That is your raison d'etre if you're in workforce development. And so you got to gear the incentive structure to how people earn their money from the government in a way that aligns incentives to uh, ensure that the folks are actually benefiting from this service of workforce development. That's Gerald Chertavian, the founder of the nonprofit organization Gear Up, offering an array of solutions for the 62% of American adults who don't have a four-year college degree. In our next episode, we're going to look at the largest group of long-term unemployed in this country, older workers. And finally, we had one last question for Berkti. So where do you think you'll be in 10 years? Or where do you want to be in 10 years sort of job-wise? 10 years from now. Like I said, I would either want to go into data analytics, um, into Scrum, like to be a Scrum master. Um, and I, within those positions, by 10 years, I would like to be like senior um, within whatever company that I'm working at. Uh, obviously making over six figures. And also like being in a position in my life where 
not only can I help myself, but I can also help my family and get to levels that I never thought I'd be able to reach. Ambitious plans from Berkti Asmaran, born in Ethiopia and poised to start an internship at a top company in the Washington DC area. I feel like all of these things have been like opening to me um, once I've decided to let go of those positions that I once had. Um, so from now on, it's only up. <laughs> like, it's only up from here. That bright future may also include a business venture that Berkti wants to start with her five-year-old daughter, Abby. We have a restaurant we're gonna open together. Um, it's called Abby's and Mama's Best Restaurant. She named it. It's <laughs> a great name. It has a ring yeah. to it. It does. And what kind? What kind of? Uh, what kind of food does uh, Abigail want to serve at Abby and Mommy's Best Restaurant? <laughs> so I told her Ethiopian food. She's not fond of it. Um, she eats it because she doesn't <laughs> have a choice. It's gonna be definitely Ethiopian food. <laughs> the producers of Century Lives are Carrie Thompson, Aaron Slomsky Pritz, and Cameron Chertavian. Music for this episode was provided by Ramteen Arablui and Audio Network. Century Lives is a production of the Stanford Center on Longevity, where our mission is to support ideas and research so that century-long lives are healthy and rewarding ones. You can find out more about us at longevity.stanford.edu. Support for the Stanford Center on Longevity comes from the Annenberg Foundation, dedicated to addressing the critical issues of our time through innovation, community, compassion, and communication. Thanks for listening. I'm Ken Stern.